You are listening to episode seven of the STEM space. Today, Natasha is proposing that we present questions to our students in a different way. Listen to her thoughts and let us know what you think by commenting on our post on social media or on our website linked in the show notes. Here we go. Welcome to the STEM space hosted by Vivify co-founders, Claire and Natasha. Two aerospace engineers turned educators, sharing our passion for all things STEM. Check us out at vivifystem.com. So I just got out of class and I'm really excited to share some of what we learned today because I, I feel like we can really dive into it and talk about, you know, what do we think about this strategy and then how can it apply to some of the things we do in STEM education? Awesome, because I learned so much from you doing these classes. But um, so for our audience, our listeners who, this is the first time that we're doing this kind of podcast right after your class. So I have no idea what you're about to throw at me. But for our listeners, what are you talking about? What is this class? What are you doing and why? Yes. So you and I both have engineering backgrounds and we kind of found our way in STEM education, didn't really even know what it was and figured it out by doing it and trying it and learning from our mistakes. Um, But we've not really had any formal training in education and pedagogy and learning styles and research about that. And so I was really interested to take some classes. I'm working on my master's of science in curriculum and instruction with an emphasis in science education. This is my third, no, fourth week (laughs) of grad school. And so every class, I feel like it's a fire hose of information and I really need somebody to talk to about it and help me kind of process what I'm learning. (laughs) So let's do a disclaimer that I am in no means an expert on anything I'm about to say, because I just learned it like five minutes ago. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, perfect. Okay. Well, that's, that's the reason why we're doing this is to be able to process it together. And then hopefully our listeners will respond to and help us out, especially those that have been in education for years. And maybe they've been in education for years and are learning something that they have never heard of before that they could hopefully use in their program or classroom, right? Exactly. And actually how the class started was what is the current state of science education? Mm -hmm. And it's a little scary uh, to kind of see where we're at and how there's been very little progress made in the way we're teaching science, if we're even teaching it at all. But the fact that we have listeners interested in learning more about STEM and how to do better by their students Um, I think is a good place to be. This class is called the Advanced Pedagogy of Science Education. So basically, how do you teach science? And it's not just science teachers in the room. There's also people who are trying to teach science at a graduate level. So there's some people in the room that are in biology and chemistry and animal sciences. There's even a postdoc. So he is already finished with school and he still wants to learn more. And so it's a cool mix of people that are just in the education field. And so a lot of us are coming with a very blank slate of like, okay, how do I teach people better? What I wanted to just jump into today is not so much how people learn, but more focused on some teaching strategies that were interesting um, that I think could easily benefit how we teach engineering design. Okay. Okay. I'm game. 
<laughs> so before I even like jump in, I have this object that I'm holding and uh, I want you to ask me some questions about this object so you and our listeners can learn more about it. Okay. <laughs> so that's not different at all. Is it something that you use daily? No. Is it something that's the size of your hand? Yes. Is it something that you consume? No. Is it something that you can sense with more than one sense? <laughs> okay. So I'm going to help you out. And so you know I'm Greek, right? Yeah. And so I was trying to pick something that people don't know a lot about. So this is a kumboloi. Oh my goodness. Okay. So now that you have that visual, ask me some questions. Is it all the same color beads? No. Is it? Oh goodness, this is kind of hard, even though I know what it is. Um, so try to not ask yes or no questions. Oh, okay. This is not like 21 questions. No, it's not. <laughs> what are you doing with the kumbaloi? Oh, I am holding it in my hand and kind of playing around with it. And why are you playing with it? So it has also been called worry beads. And so in the Greek culture, typically men use it uh, to take their stress out. And so they'll play with it, kind of fiddle with it and feel the beads. And that's one way we use it. Mm. Is it still used today? Yes. Okay. So I'm going to stop there. Okay. And so this was actually something that the teacher in my class did last week to kind of introduce what we learned this week. And she had this very interesting instrument that she plays, takes out of the, actually before taking it out of the box, we had to ask her a bunch of questions, just kind of like what I did with you, because you couldn't visualize it. We at least knew it was an instrument. And so the purpose was she wanted us to see the difference of when you ask a yes or no, very close-ended question, how much information you're gathering versus an open-ended, like your question of, you know, what are you doing with it was a little yeah. bit more open-ended, right? And then is it still being used today was a yes or no. So it kind of just gives uh, you very short information. That's hard to do. It is really hard. And so as a class, you're actually struggling because she was being very like, not aggressive, but was trying to get the point across, right? Yeah. Like, no, yes, right? Like yelling at us. And she said when she was a teacher, she actually had her students not answer if it was yes or no question. Like she got them engaged in making her teaching better. And so she would stop and have to rephrase a question. And really the, the learning process is teachers are not born, they're created. So we shouldn't be have this misconception that you can just walk into teaching day one and be this brilliant, you know, educator. And if you're not, well, then maybe it's not the profession for you. <laughs> that is not, you know, the way to approach it. And a lot of the ways um, you improve your teaching is to learn what is research-based, right? Like how do people learn? How do students learn? And then how can you change the things you control, such as your teaching behaviors? And so the focus of the class was asking better questions. Interesting. Yeah. Um, right. And so how does, like, think about your own teaching. Like, how do you use questions whenever you've done activities with your students? 
I guess I usually ask questions and have them just raise their hand or like kind of pull the audience kind of thing, trying to get a specific answer from them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so a lot of times it, and that's a good starting point because you want to know what kind of information they're starting with. Right. So especially when you're teaching science, there's a lot of misconceptions around science. And so it's good to kind of start with a question of like, where are you at? Like, what's your initial understanding of this concept? So for example, when we do say straw rockets and I say, when I drop down this bar, right? If you think of a straw rocket launcher, it's pushing air into this rocket. The kids kind of have to think, oh, okay, you know, this air is pushing out and it's pushing the rocket on the other end. Before you, instead you could have been like, well, let's all memorize Newton's law, right? For every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. Before just like throwing this vocabulary at them, you kind of help them reason through some of these concepts with questions. And so it, first kind of gauges where they're at, but then the questions are facilitating the learning. Interesting. Yeah. So she showed us two videos and one was an educator that was actually in a studio and this was supposed to be a teacher training video. So it's supposed to be like, this is how teaching's done. Okay. <laughs> did the science experiment with like water and rocks and they're looking at it. I have no idea actually what they were looking at. <laughs> different water levels and all her questions were, well, what did you get for number three? Or, you know, it was all yes or no, or 1.2 milliliters. Like it just gave very short question answers. And it was like rapid fire. So it was like, Ryan, what'd you get for that? And he, Ryan doesn't say anything. So then she's like, Alex, what did you get? You know, it was one way of teaching. And then she showed another video and this was at a different, like more of a college level, but it was discussion-based. And actually he talked a lot less And he just asked some very like broad questions and then waited and the class kind of took the discussion over. And so that was the second thing I learned was wait time. Have you ever heard of wait time? Yes. Like almost to where you make it awkward so that they have room to to just like what you said, take over. Exactly. Really have ownership of, of the learning. What do you think the average wait time is if I ask a question for me to wait before I move on? Oh goodness. Should be something like painfully long, but no, no. What do you think? Very short, probably three seconds or something. So the, well, so for teachers right now, like they've studied teachers. And so the average wait time is 0.9 seconds. No way. So you can't even like blink that fast. (laughs) So a teacher hates awkwardness and like that pressure, right? Oh my gosh, like there's nobody saying anything. What do I do? And so your first answer was correct that you need to wait at least three seconds to get a meaningful answer. And that's actually kind of where the magic happens, but it's waiting even beyond that. So there's something called wait time two, which is the first student response. How long do you wait before you ask the next question. Meaning, so someone says something and then the teacher kind of wants to say something right after and instead you just wait and you, somebody else will answer and then somebody will else. So it's like you're giving them the opportunity to open up that discussion and engage with their peers and kind of a very welcoming and inclusive environment where you're not judging. And that's the other thing is like looking at your behavior. So how are you responding to question? Are you like, 
anybody else have a better answer? <laughs> right. Versus like, oh, okay. Or being very neutral, right? Um, and so those are all learned behaviors that all of us could easily, you know, um, do. And maybe I shouldn't say easily. It does take time to kind of do one thing at a time. So maybe first focus on how can I ask better questions and how can I use questions to guide the learning? And second, maybe thinking about this wait time. So I asked a great question, but if you don't give enough time, there's <laughs> yeah, not going to be a good answer. Yeah. I feel like that's probably a culture change for the whole classroom too. Cause I know that when I was teaching elementary, I would ask a question and then wait until somebody would have an answer. And then if I continued to wait, which I did sometimes because I was looking for more that the first person that answered would get this like worried look on their face. Like, Oh my goodness, I said the wrong thing. I didn't get it right until um, that kids peers would then start pitching in giving ideas and then there's this confidence where the whole class feels like they're involved and then I think they really remember it better oh yeah with that too so yeah that's really interesting it's great and you can definitely see the shift right with you know you just telling them the answer and giving the information they're a passive learner versus you engaging them and then they're actively involved and have kind of a say and you know want to know the answer because they're kind of put their hat in the ring right yeah. like they're they're more engaged and so I was I was reflecting on how could this so this really was intended for science education but I think it fits so well with engineering design challenge right so say we're doing like a I don't know pick your favorite engineering design challenge lander <laughs> <laughs> Yes. And so we're thinking about how are we going to keep these two ping pong balls inside a cup when we drop it? And, you know, how can we use a line of questioning to whether we're setting up the question of or the problem? I don't know. What are your thoughts? I'm like, how can we use questions to make it a better learning experience? Well, I think probably the hardest part for kids to get used to when they're in the engineering design process is the brainstorming. Uh, because they're just looking for that one solution, right? So I think if you if we're able to facilitate better questions and leave that time for students to give their input, for everybody to give their input, that that would really lead to some really great brainstorming and better solutions than what they would probably come up with if they were just looking for the, the right first answer. And then also pushing them to think, you know, why are you choosing that material in your design? Yeah. Why are you making it that shape? What do you More think happened? And just throwing out answers, right? Yeah. And I think also when we get to the next phase of engineering design of the test and redesign, you know, when I'm thinking about the lander and they drop it and the balls come out, then they just feel failure, right? And instead you can turn it into a positive of why do you think that happened? And maybe what no differences do you notice of your design compared to another student's that worked, you know, if they're really struggling or what, you know, before, like, instead of just wanting to give them the answer, having them just grapple with it, like force them to be like actively engaged in learning something. Cause when they struggle, I feel is when they learn. Oh yeah, for sure. And I, I think that goes back to the whole awkward pause thing. Like that's a struggle. And I think that's how they learn. Mm -hmm. um, I agree. That's really awesome. So that was my kind of big takeaway, you know, ask better questions and then 
leave time for the answers. You kind of have to have both. And I think it perfectly ties in with their engineering design challenges and, you know, having them become better engineers as they're reasoning through the testing and redesign, brainstorming, as you said. So yeah, that was, that was my big takeaway from today's lesson. Awesome. Well, let's see if we can implement it this week. If you are listening and you're an educator, let us know what you think about this. And if you try it, let us know how it works. Yes, I'm excited. All right. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye.